everyone, welcome to this latest update on the COP26 meetings in Glasgow with me, Ian Welsh. As the COP meetings headed into week two, an undoubted star was former US President Barack Obama, and no real surprise there, who addressed the summit on Monday, saying that despite the progress, the world is nowhere near where it needs to be to avoid climate catastrophe. He called on young people and activists to stay angry in the fight against climate change, urging them to keep applying pressure on governments to make the changes necessary. Reacting to his comments, some activists pointed out that promises made by the US at the Paris COP in 2015, when President Obama was in office, have not been met, though he would counter, of course, that four years of inactivity under his successor are to blame for that. Also making the COP news earlier this week was the calculation made by Global Witness that there are more delegates at the meeting associated with the fossil fuel industry than any single national delegation. There are 503 accredited delegates linked to fossil fuel interests. Brazil is the largest national delegation with 479. One of the themes on Tuesday was gender inequality and how climate change impacts women in particular. Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister of Scotland, in her debut major speech at COP26, called on delegates to ensure that climate change is a feminist issue and for the experience of women and girls disproportionately impacted by climate change are understood as the solutions emerge. Sturgeon was introduced onto the stage by US House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who has arrived leading a delegation from the US Congress. Pelosi said that America is back and together for the planet, for women and for children. Also on Tuesday, the UK's Met Office predicted that 1 billion people face life-threatening heat and humidity from a 2 Celsius rise in global temperatures, representing a 15-fold increase in the number of people potentially impacted. Which was, of course, put into even sharper focus by the latest report from Climate Action Tracker, which hit COP26 with the bombshell that, despite all the positive feeling from the first week and calculations from the likes of the International Energy Agency that ultimate projected warming had come down to under 2 Celsius and heading towards the 1.5 Celsius goal, in fact, we're still looking at a world that's 2.4 Celsius warmer by 2100. So how have these seemingly contradictory positions arisen? It appears to come down to pace of change rather than ultimate commitment. Climate Action Tracker has taken what has been pledged for 2030 on the basis that unless serious, significant action is taken in the next nine years, then 2050 and beyond targets cannot be realised. Their report accuses the COP26 process as having a massive credibility, action and commitment gap. COP26 President Alok Sharma reacted swiftly to the report, saying that there has still not been enough progress at the conference and Greenpeace described the Climate Action Network report as devastating. To reflect on the events of COP so far and to tease out some of what to look for over the rest of the week, I dropped into the Barra's Art and Design Centre in Glasgow on Monday to catch up with Peter Lacey, member of the Global Executive Board and Sustainability Services Lead at Accenture. Welcome back to the podcast, Peter. Thank you very much, and good to be with a proper Glaswegian in Glasgow. <laughs> well, it's lovely to be in Glasgow for sure, for the COP26 meeting. So, we're at the beginning of week two in Glasgow. What's been your impression of how things have gone so far? I think it's good to very good, actually. I'm reasonably optimistic at the moment. So let me tell you why I think that's the case. If you go back to Paris, we entered Paris probably with a four to six degree warming world. We entered the broader COP, 
26 negotiations 12, 18 months ago with probably a three and a half degree warming world, three, three and a half degrees. As it currently stands, commitments are 1.8 degrees, according to the IEA, who've been asked to track that over the course of the negotiations. So that's part one of why that's good good-ish. It's not one and a half degrees, which is what we need, but that's a heck of a journey. We need to be cautious because commitments are not delivery and there are plenty of reasons to believe that there are challenges ahead, but that is progress. The second thing I said good to very good is I think very good has been the extraordinary shift, I think an irreversible shift, in the business side of net zero and commitments to net zero. And I think you can break that down in different elements. The FTSE 100 started before the UK government campaign, which Accenture supported and back officed at around 20% of companies that had signed up to net zero or a one and a half degree carbon target. We're now at 70%. Again, let's caveat it. For me, if it isn't a science-based target, according to this SBTI, it isn't a target. So there's still work to do. But I think you can say that's a big jump, a big shift. I think the other big news that I think is very good is the convergence to a single standard and a single standards body under the IFRS. And I was in the room at the time and I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. But TCFD, the IFRS, the IISB, SASB work and all of the big four, the IOSCO um, Securities Exchange, all not just collaborating, merging their efforts, the WEF ESG 21 metrics under one single standards body and one single standard that we can expect to be put to the board in June of 2023 and rolled out immediately after that. And when I was in the room, the assurance and audit professions were very clear that they saw that as then leading to a complete rethinking and retraining of auditors and assurers and accountants going forward. Now, that has been something that you and I have been working on this for 20 years. We've been asking and making that clear for 20 years, that that needed to happen. Until that happened, it is impossible to have comparable data that can be invested in properly or reported or disclosed properly. So it is genuinely a step shift in the relationship between the capital markets, stakeholders and companies on disclosure and on reporting. The GRI are currently staying out of that, but I can see why, because I think there's more specificity around specific issues that are not necessarily financially material, but that might be material from a sustainability perspective that they think they can represent. But I would just go back to your question. I would say very good on the corporate side, good on 1.8 degree of warming, but with some challenges that we should probably expect ahead. It certainly felt the first week of the COP26 meetings that there were some real big changes and, you know, as you say, almost jaw-dropping moments yes. uh, that we needed. They had to happen for yes. us to get anywhere near getting hitting the 1.5 Celsius target, as, as you see. What did your week look like then? What were you doing and what were your personal highlights? My highlights from last week were firstly the launch of our UN Global Compact and the United Nations Secretary General CEO study. You and I have been around long enough to know that that, that actually ages and dates me, but I've been doing that for 14 years now. So every two or three years, we take the pulse of global CEOs on sustainability. This time, we launched it very, very deliberately as a special edition ahead of COP. And we launched it with a view of trying to create a clear set of messages for policymakers, for negotiators, for heads of state, for UN ambassadors about what business expected. 
And we did come up with, I think, a very, very concrete set of measures. And there are 10 measures, I won't go through all of them, but things like um, being clear about infrastructure spending needs on things like renewables, on things like charging stations for electric vehicles, on distributed energy, on reshaping the grid, things like making the link to biodiversity and making sure that climate change measures are not in a vacuum, but actually connect to other sustainable development goals, but particularly, I would say, biodiversity. And I think in particular, on top of that, looking very, very hard at carbon pricing, the tough issues, things like carbon pricing and fossil fuel subsidies, and looking at the weight and the balance between the capital markets and government funding for uh, the old economy versus the new economy. So there were some very clear messages in that. That was a highlight for my week. I think as I look at this week, I have to say we opened up this morning with a great panel on biodiversity where we heard from Enrique Sala, one of the pioneers as a scientist um, from University of California and who has himself helped governments set up 21 marine preservation areas around the world given the role of the ocean but also we discussed the incredible role that nature and biodiversity play more generally and I would say a shocking statistic from that CEO study but linked to this morning was that only 21% of CEOs globally believe that biodiversity uh, degeneration poses a risk to their business. Only 21%. And that included 400 CEOs out of the 1,200 CEOs from the global south. So I think we do have a very, very big challenge ahead of us, not just in awareness, but in terms of understanding and practical application of biodiversity because we rely, the economy being a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment, as Prince Charles has told us many times, but a brilliant way of putting it, I think we rely, according to Swiss Ray, on uh, 45 trillion, more than half of the global economy. We rely on biodiversity and nature. That's going to be a focus for my second week and something that I think kicked off nicely this morning, but with, I think, a huge challenge ahead of us almost of the same scale of climate change for business to understand that this isn't just about energy. It is about the circular economy, energy, water, waste, materials, biodiversity, and habitats and landscapes, which I know is something you've worked a lot on. I just think that maturity is not there. So we've still got a long way to go, I think. It's a sobering thought, isn't it, that the 21% of CEOs not seeing the challenges around biodiversity. It's like, I think everybody's focusing too much on carbon They've got their head around the fact that carbon is important and you know, fixing on it. But as you say, the actual value of keeping forests standing, for example, is around the biodiversity side of things and the water side of things, not just purely carbon. I totally agree with you. I mean, for, so for example, I'll give you two examples that, that I think matter. One example, so we worked for the last 12 months with the UK government, with Boris, with DEFRA, and with the Sustainable Business Council to create a net positive nature campaign that was rolled out across the FTSE, but we hope that others will join us. And I forget the website, but I think it's netpositivenature.com. And I think one of the things we produced was a handbook with four simple steps that help businesses in the boardroom, but also in their top executive teams, move from understanding to action on biodiversity. And I think that those sorts of measures are going to need to come in very, very quickly. And also, I think the recognition that you can't tackle climate change without tackling biodiversity. The two things are indivisible. Now, a second example for us would be with an extension at Positive Nature. You know, one of the things that we have in our one and a half degree... So when I came into the role... Uh, Julie, our CEO, my boss, and I said, okay, well, look, we need to make sure we're our own best example. So we set the most ambitious science-based target in the industry at that point. 
So 2025, scope one through three, importantly, SBTI signed off. And one of the challenges of that, just being straight and honest, is that at the moment, you can imagine 626,000 people in consulting and technology services, still we have a lot of aviation. Now we are going to tackle the sacred cow in the industry, which is to decouple our travel, which has basically been, for the whole industry, has been a linear relationship. Revenue and travel are basically linear, and most of that is aviation. So we are going to tackle that and reduce it in absolute terms. But for now, you can't totally avoid flying as our industry. So we have been working with the Sustainable Aviation Fuels Group to commit to the industry's leading target of 10% by 2030. That's nowhere near enough. We need fuels companies, we need airlines to do more. But the example of biodiversity that I'll give you, so because we need to offset our aviation in particular for now, by 2025, we will have seven projects up and running that should cover us out until 2042. What we've looked for very specifically in each of those projects, we've originated each of them because we think there are still problems with the carbon markets, which we believe are fixable, but we still think there are issues. So we wanted to have absolute certainty. So we originated our own projects in different parts of the world. And what we've found is it's possible to develop the co-benefits of those projects, whether it's adding renewable energy capacity or whether or not it's deforestation avoided, we can actually add not just the biodiversity benefits, but other SDG goals, local employment and economic development, poverty alleviation, even health benefits. So I think that's, I think, an important component of where we can join up some of these goals in corporate measures. And that's what we're doing at Extension. Clearly, we're here at your really very impressive hub in the east of Glasgow. You've made a clear commitment to be here, to be in Glasgow and around the COP meeting. So why is that important for you? Why is it important to be here? It's a very good point. I mean, it is a wonderful venue here. I'm very proud that we chose this venue, the Barra's Art and Culture Centre, which, as you know, has not always been the best part or best considered part of Glasgow, although culturally always very important to celebrating its 100th anniversary. I'm very glad that we managed to do that because I wanted us to invest properly in the community in Glasgow whilst we were here and not just take some shiny big Accenture building or hotel. But your question is, why are we here? What's the return on investment? What's the strategic logic? Julie and I have been a very, very clear. Sustainability is the new digital. And we believe that the two transformational forces in the global economy uh, over the next nine years to 2030 are going to be digital and sustainability. And that those are going to be what drive the competitiveness of our clients. And I will tell you that if I go back 10 years, the number of clients that were doing transformational work was one or two a year. We were lucky if that was true. We've done a thousand plus sustainability strategy projects, but truly end-to-end transformation in a supply chain, truly changing their business model, reinventing their products and services didn't happen. Now I can tell you that we're getting dozens a month having those conversations. So we're seeing exponential growth in the demand for our services, which is what we call sustainability services. But I think even more important than that, what we are doing is also building what we call sustainability by design, which is going back into every single one of our core business areas. So let's say that's we're the largest partner for all six of the big software and platforms, Google, SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft, Oracle, Amazon Web Services, or um, cybersecurity, or big data and analytics, or supply chain, or manufacturing. And we're going back into each and every one of those areas and now retrofitting sustainability so that when we do a project for a client, let's say it's a classic cost-cutting project, we're able to say to them, look, if you 
change your supplier base in this way, here's the cost takeout, but here's the impact on your ESG objectives. This was what it does for inclusion and diversity of the ownership of your businesses. This is what it does for your carbon footprint. This is what it does for your water footprint. That isn't a sustainability project. That's integrating it into every single thing that we do. If you like, why are we here? Because we believe that business has an enormous contribution to play in tackling climate change in the SDGs. We believe that as the largest consulting and technology services player through what we call the Accenture Sustainability Value Promise, we need to step up not just as a business, but integrating it fully into our services. I will be very, very unashamed and unapologetic in saying we think this will contribute to our own competitiveness. And we're priming the pump for, I think, a situation in the next few years where we will see sustainability genuinely become the axis of competition alongside digital and technology that defines the next generation of business success. So here we are, beginning of week two. I know you're going to the Blue Zone for a few days this week. What are you looking for from the core negotiations at COP? I thought Al Gore put it brilliantly at a lunch I attended the other day with Google, which is he talked about the big wheel turning and the difference between broad COP and narrow COP. I think the big wheel has turned substantially over the last 12 to 18 months in the bigger scheme of COP. In other words, broader COP. So the race to zero. The kinds of commitments that have been made through the Glasgow Finance Initiative of 130 trillion in capital, the 80% of governments that have signed up to net zero plans, the fact that we're now at 1.8 degrees, the fact that we're now going to have a converged single standard for reporting and disclosure. I'm looking for more of some of those. One thing that I think is interesting that's emerged this COP more than any COP I've ever experienced in the past and I think will become an issue is a just transition. That's something that we've heard before at the margins. Now I think we're hearing it more at the mainstream. So I'll be listening for that and the just transition. The final document itself, I mean, look, I don't know what I expect. I mean, we'll see what happens. But if we're at 1.8 degrees, that's already pretty successful. One thing I will tell you, I am unimpressed generally. This is not an attack on you. You do great job at work. But I'm unimpressed generally. And I think the biggest risk to us achieving a lot of our goals globally is the role of social media and disinformation and even mainstream media and the way in which it portrays and focuses on headline generation, focuses on stories that are sensational or hypocrisy, rather than properly reporting the real issues that voters and that the public need to grapple with as consumers, as employees, shareholders. I will be looking for some of that. There was a big announcement last week, as you may have seen, from the 12 big UK media providers saying that they were going to really double down their coverage. <laughs> My immediate question was, well, okay, okay well, I'm not sure we need more of your coverage if it's down one particular slant and track. So let's see what you're up for. But I do think I'll be looking out for more of that too. So I think that broader cop, narrower cop is a good way to look at things. The big wheel has turned. Broader cop has already been very successful. I'll be looking for more of that the narrower cop we'll see what the negotiators produce i don't think it's that substantive either way indeed well let's see what happens this week you're absolutely right that it needs to be properly reported but there's still a long way to go in terms of negotiation but it's a, let's see what happens and thanks so much for your time peter lacy from accenture and well done you've certainly so far it's name drop of the week so far with algo <laughs> thank, thank you very much thank you. I spoke to Peter before the Climate Action Network report was announced, of course. And despite the fact that the report rather overshadowed events on Tuesday, there were some positive announcements. 
The governments of 22 countries and the European Commission announced that they would work together to invest in clean energy technologies for industry. The arrangement is part of Mission Innovation, which brings together governments from around the world and private sector investors, with a focus on innovation in challenging sectors. US Climate Envoy John Kerry has described this all as breakthrough. Coming up today, Wednesday in Glasgow, will be sessions themed around transport and the accessibility of renewable power sources, and many expect progress reports from UK leaders as the close of the COP26 meetings begins to loom. I'll be back tomorrow with an update on that, plus an interview from COP with Fair Trade Africa's Kate and Katha. Until then, goodbye.